Welcome to the Zeal Interestings Podcast, where we discuss an interesting article or link from the week. I'm your host, Chris White. My guest this week is Jordan Eldridge. Welcome to the podcast, Jordan. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. So Jordan created a uh, site project called WinAmp.js. It's a faithful open source recreation of WinAmp 2. For those of you who aren't in the Cool Kids Club, WinAmp is a Windows-based uh, media player. It's been around since like early, mid-90s. Uh, and WinAmp 2 was kind of like, I feel like, the peak of of its success in the late 90s. I certainly was a very prolific user of WinAmp 2. And so to see like a web-based re-implementation of it was very cool. So yeah, that, that's kind of introducing the topic. So Jordan, can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to create WinAmp.js and, and where it came from? Yeah, sure. It's actually a, a kind of a funny story. I was, uh, I remember I was sitting on my on my bed and I don't know what exactly it was that instigated it, but I had this recollection about how Winamp skins uh, were implemented. And so for those of you who aren't, I guess, now tech old timers, <laughs> as someone who's 30 is apparently now, Winamp allowed you to style its look and feel with what they called skins, which were basically like style packs or little uh, files you could download to change how it looked. And the implementation of them was under the hood, just a zip file that contained some bitmap files, which were sprite sheets. And for those of you who have done any like CSS icons, sprite sheets are very common in CSS as well for limiting the number of HTTP requests. And so it occurred to me, I just had this recollection, that like, oh man, that's how Winamp skins were done. And I've been doing that with CSS now. I wonder if I could pull in some of those original Winamp skin um, BMPs and render them in the browser like I uh, you know can do with icons. And yeah, I sat down to do it and realized pretty quickly that it would be possible. Browsers still render BMP files, which is awesome. Nice. Uh, and uh, yeah, it worked and so I sort of caught a bug starting there and uh, things sort of progressed. So you figured out the uh, the loading of the the skins in the visual interface before anything else. Uh, and and ha- actually building a working player was kind of something that evolved over time. Yeah, I think, you know, like many people who were sort of just coming of age at that time on the computer, playing with Winamp skins was kind of a formative experience for me. It was, I think, the first time that I was ever like creative and constructive on a computer as a, you know, teenager in my room, uh, not hanging out with my friends, maybe. (laughs) But yeah, I think it had that, it was a really powerful moment, I think, in my life of being constructive on a computer and creating something from nothing. And uh, so that was, I think, really the touchstone for me with Winamp more than the actual uh, music of it, uh, but the actual skins. That's awesome. I was actually really jealous when I heard that because back back in the day, around the same time, I was you know playing around with HTML and CSS and figuring out web development. If I'd realized that Winamp skins you could were so easy to compose and put together, that sounds like the kind of thing that my friends and I would have definitely been into. Yeah, I think it's. I look back at how I was doing it back then. I was literally like you know running WinZip. On every save, so I'd like save the bitmap file, run WinZip, open WinApp, drag in the file. But yeah, it worked. You know, it's uh, you take simple pieces and put them together, and you can build something pretty powerful. Yeah, I think it's really cool that like you were working on a modern problem, you know, CSS sprites, and it seems like there's like these timeless approaches to computer problems. It's super interesting that that reminded you so much of that process, right? Yeah, I think it's really interesting how throughout the entire process of working on this project, you know, from the skinning problem through, like you said, you know, okay, the next step is getting the actual audio to work. Um, the way the web APIs have been built 
really ended up being almost a perfect fit for this problem. So it seems like, like you said, these problems are kind of timeless. This is like a, a very ambitious and awesome project. Have you, have you ever done anything like it in scale before? I've always been a, a person who has a number of side projects. Most of them don't take three years to complete, but definitely, you know, I've always got something going on and often many things at a time. So, well, I haven't had anything quite at this scope. Yeah, I do like to, to keep myself busy and I have probably more numbers of projects than, you know, the sort of depth of individual projects like this one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I definitely know, know a lot of people that have many, many small things they've started over the years, but it seems like this one project has stuck with you for a long time and kind of come back in your life. Yeah, it's actually, I think there are a lot of people who get kind of afraid to publish something, a side project that they have, because they're afraid that they're going to get, you know, judged. Someone's going to find them on GitHub and be like, oh, you wrote <laughs> bad JavaScript or, you know, oh, you used the wrong JavaScript framework or something. Sure. But I think it's really important to remember that you know, the only things that people actually notice are the things that get attention. And things don't generally get attention because they're bad. So you really can't lose by just putting everything out there on the off chance that somebody likes something of it. And then in that case, you might get some attention for the thing that you did. That's really true. And I've also found like that the fear that someone's going to come in and hate you for what you've pushed out into the world and, and brought into the world out of passion is like, not true, right? Like, I, probably there are people there be like, "Hey, you did you did something this way. I found that this is better," or, or you know, they they find bugs for you and and maybe contribute. But I feel like, at least in in the software development community, it, it's mostly a positive cycle. Yeah, I think the bigger fear you should have is that no one will care at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> then that someone's <laughs> going to care positively. I mean, at least if someone is passionate about what you've done, that means you're kind of on on the right track, right? You're doing yeah. something that someone cares about. That's more than, you know, I think many of us can claim for any of our projects. So that's true. That's true. So three years is is, is a very long lived project. Can you kind of take me through some of the like the milestones as you experienced it? Yeah. So picking up, you know, from that evening when I was just sort of uh, sitting on my bed and had that realization. You know, I sort of worked furiously after that night and got sort of the visual piece working. And then I was like, well, you know, what can the browser do in audio? And so I went and learned a bunch about Web Audio API. And Winamp is, uh, Winamp 2 at least, is kind of broken down into three windows. Mm -hmm. So there's the main window, which does like play, pause, you know, load a file volume. And then there's a second window, which does like equalizer, so you can adjust the various frequency bands. And then there's a third window, which is for handling playlists, so you can arrange what order tracks are coming in. And so the, the most kind of iconic one is that main window. So I got that working pretty quickly, I think within you know a couple of weeks or maybe a month. Yeah. And I got the, the audio part hooked up. It was like, well, you know, maybe maybe my friend Jake Rodkin will think this is cool. So I, I tweeted it and I, I mentioned him in it. Yeah, and ended up getting a bunch of, of press almost immediately. And so that was sort of the first milestone. And then I realized that, you know, going from that piece to the second window was really going to be a a tremendous amount of work. Uh -huh. So getting the equalizer to work, getting the visual aesthetic of the equalizer to work, getting multiple windows interacting with each other, so you can you know drag windows around and whatnot, and they have to snap to each other and things. So there's all these bigger problems that suddenly came around when you had two windows. And so yeah, I ended up taking probably about two years to complete that, but only because, like I said, I have a number of different side projects, and so I would 
you know, work on Winamp until it, you know, I would get stuck on some problem. Like, I really don't know a good way to solve this. Yeah. And then I would just set it on the back burner and come back to it. Nice. So tell me a little bit more about the kind of ambitious technical issues or, or the challenging technical issues. It seems like from an outside view that doing an equalizer on the web sounds really challenging. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Yeah. Actually, going back to what I was saying about, you know, many of the problems that I had to solve for this project ended up having sort of, Elegant solutions in the web audio API or in the browser APIs in general. Nice. The equalizer is is almost seems like something that they were thinking about when they designed the web audio API. So the way the web audio API is structured is you construct these these audio nodes, and you can think about them kind of like I don't know if you've ever played like electric guitar. You have these uh, effects pedals. I've watched and, people play electric yeah, guitar. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's uh, to be honest, that's that's my experience as well. But you can sort of chain them together. And so basically the equalizer under the hood, as far as the audio is concerned, is really just an array of these effects nodes that are chained together. So the input of one goes into the output of the other. That's awesome. So on and so forth. And so I guess the output of one goes into the input of the other, I should say. Yeah, so once I sort of put the pieces together, it was really quite simple. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think some of the like web audio API people had like a page of demos in order to sort of show off what it could do. And one of them literally said like Winamp equalizer. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I <laughs> guess I'll take this approach. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, it was it, that part of it was surprisingly easy. I think the bigger challenge was actually there's a little visualization for the equalizer window that shows the various frequency bands and it's a little like line graph. Uh-huh. And the lines are sort of curved into each other. So you have you know, uh, like I don't know what it is, ten different different frequency bands, and there is, it draws a line connecting them. Mm-hmm. So I ended up finding a a great splining NPM library that could draw these splines onto canvas, and then you know we pull the colors out of a, a bitmap file in the skin, pull those uh, into canvas, and yeah, able to draw these sort of colored splined lines on a canvas that are dependent upon. The individual skin file that the user has specified. Wow, that's awesome. That's really cool. You also mentioned at one point that when you created the the playback uh, or or the playlist section, that you had to do kind of a big refactor around that, right? Yeah, that's right. So I had to do a number of different things. The one, the playlist is the first window that can be resized. Ah, I see. So that introduces, you know, yet another level of complexity. Uh, how do the windows interact as you're resizing them? But I hadn't taken into account multiple audio files at all. And in fact, I had used kind of the wrong abstraction within the web audio API in general, which required that each audio file be read entirely into memory I see. <laughs> before it could be played, which for the sample file, which is like five seconds, is fine. But once you start to have a playlist, you're like, oh, I want to load in all these different songs that I have. Suddenly you have a browser tab that's taking over a gigabyte of memory. Yeah, or it just hangs because you can't move on until it's parsed this entire MP3 file. So I had to switch to a different model um, using the element, audio element source uh, rather than the buffer source. But yeah, uh, it was a pretty major rewrite of all the audio infrastructure and some major refactoring of how the windowing was handled. But uh, you know, it did eventually come together. That's nice. That's nice. So, uh, you know, just recently you announced in a tweet that it's done, and you know that that's definitely how I discovered it. Since it seems like that got a lot of retweets and attention, how did you come to that conclusion that it was done and ready to be shared at a wider level? Yeah, it's a it's a funny question. I think anyone who's written software 
would agree that the notion of a software project being quote unquote done is is probably a fiction. Definitely um, challenging. <laughs> yeah. So even though, you know, I do have a pretty well-defined spec, right? Like Winamp itself is the spec right. and I'm building to that spec. Still there's probably an infinite amount of work that could, you know, go into it. So really I was just looking for a, you know, subset of all the things I wanted to complete that would feel uh, you know, would meet some uh, value of polish that I was holding myself to. And, you know, I would, I would sort of say like, okay, here are the things I want to fix. And then I would work towards them. And then in the process, I'd be like, oh man, like there's this one annoyance and I'd add that to the list. And at times the list was growing faster than I was bringing them down. But eventually I did get through all the things that I thought were critical. Like all the major things that, that were weird to you. Yeah. All the little like quirks and issues. And I was able to show it to a few people who were either sort of prolific skinners back in the day or who had actually worked on Winamp, the actual product. And get some feedback from them, and they were able to catch a bunch of places where I had missed little details. Oh, that's awesome! Um, and then I, w- yeah, yeah, and then I would, re- you know, go back and revisit those. So, like little inaccuracies in how you were rendering the skins, or yeah, like oh gosh, there was one where the buttons in the upper right hand corner of the main menu have in the skin they have a, a default state and a, a like a depressed state, uh-huh. and then there's like a background image behind them. And so I was showing the default state until you like click on them and then the depressed state when you click on them. But one of the, the skinners that I was working with, he pointed out that actually Winamp kind of has a bug in that it shows through to the background until the first time you click it. <laughs> then it shows the default state and the hover state or the, the depressed state, you know, when you're clicking. And so I had to go through and like, okay, I'm going to handle that, you know, oddity because certain skins look kind of funky if you don't do that. Oh, okay. So like a, a, a classic bug of Winamp two caused skinners to compensate for it, and then you were rendering the skin quote unquote correctly, right? And it wasn't right. Exactly. I was trying to. Uh, I, I didn't quite understand the nuances uh, that this guy, you know, who had written a bunch of of fairly popular skins had. That's awesome. But yeah, so I, I went through that whole process trying to get as many of those details as I could. And, you know, when I felt that it was sort of at this certain level of polish for those three windows, I took it more as, I guess, like a marketing opportunity, nice. to be honest. Um, and like you said, you know, it was, it was one of the few opportunities I had to sort of present it because, you know, software development is this sort of ongoing fluid thing. And so you sort of have to find for yourself excuses to say that we've hit some kind of milestone. Right, right. So moving forward and, and kind of all along, what have been like your motivations for can to give your time into this and and like what are the things where what have been some of the rewards for you from it? Yeah. Uh yeah, I sort of joked that some people asked on Twitter, like, you know, why? <laughs> um <laughs> you're like, hey, this is cool, but uh why did you do this? And you know, I've just been joking that I don't know, like I kind of, like I said, I had that aha moment, and then I kind of forgot to ask myself if I should stop anywhere <laughs> along the way. But I think the honest truth is that it was interesting, right? These were all interesting problems to solve. How do you deserialize the binary equalizer format that Winamp lets you import and export? Um, how do you dynamically generate an HTML version of the playlist and allow users to download it without having a server? Um, these are all problems which are really interesting to solve, and I had never had the opportunity to work on them before. And so it was kind of, I guess, like brain candy for me. Like it was just around every corner was some interesting and novel challenge. You know, as far as the reward, a lot of people when they saw like, hey, it's getting you know traction on Twitter, it's got a post on Hacker News, it got 
written up on, uh, even got written up on TechCrunch, which I thought was kind of hilarious. That is hilarious. That, uh, you know, people say, okay, cool. Are you going to put like ads on it and try to make some money now? And I don't know. That was never particularly something I was interested in. But I do think that nonetheless, there actually has been a pretty substantial financial gain to me in that it actually ended up being a path towards me getting a job at my current employer where I'm working at Facebook. Nice. A recruiter there saw the project before this most recent completion. I think the equalizer, no, not even the equalizer, just the main window had been completed and reached out. I got, you know, into the interview process and a couple of the people in my interview loop had heard about the project. So it gave us something to talk about and, you know, it was clearly something that I was able to speak passionately about. So I think you know, while the return on investment hasn't been like I made a product that people are paying for, sure. it has been that you know it was an investment back into myself, which ended up you know paying dividends, indirect and direct benefits. That's that's yeah. nice. I've, I found that to be very true. Like not everybody has like the bandwidth to do side projects, but I found that people that that do have the opportunity to do it that that tends to help out a lot in the job search process. Definitely when I was interviewing for my current job, being able to like show a side project that I developed pretty well, like here's how I structured all the it was a back end app with a with a with a mobile client. And so seeing how I like structured APIs and wrote tests and things like that on all these different parts showed that I had like the ability to do the kinds of work that that they were trying to hire for. So it was very helpful. Yeah, I think it's surprising in an interview how frequently when a question comes up how frequently your mind goes to a side project that you've worked on to the exclusion maybe of work you've done for <laughs> for your employer <laughs> i think because it they're often problems that you've thought about more passionately and so maybe they come to mind more quickly and i think that you know, again if you are able to do it um, that interviewers they pick up on that enthusiasm and that thoughtfulness that you've put into it yeah, definitely. Definitely. As far as other benefits, you know, certainly when I saw when WAMPJS, I was just like hit with this huge wave of nostalgia. It was such a big part of how I used computers back in the day and connected to my memories of, of different parts of my life. So at the very least, it had a huge uh, positive nostalgia boost for me. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you can imagine if that was your experience that my experience, you know, working on it for three years was very much the same. That same kind of uh, creating something from nothing that I was experiencing as a teenager in my room working on Winamp skins, you know, having that same experience writing JavaScript all these years later was basically the same. And you know, if I have one recommendation to people looking to pick up a side project, ride on somebody else's coattails. Um, you know, the the nostalgia baked into Winamp is so strong that I think you know the attention that this project has gotten is definitely directly attributable to people's strong emotional response to seeing that user interface and to hearing that sort of initial demo track yes. uh, that it had preloaded. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's let's start wrapping up. Is there anything that you'd like to bring our listeners attention to or anything that any any links you'd like to share or anything like that? Yeah, actually tagging on to that bit about nostalgia, if this project has actually generated any real value, I think it sort of inadvertently created a platform where you know these Winamp skins, which were getting increasingly difficult to to share, to you know try out, 
as you know the the systems that you can as you know the Winamp uh, exe file is sort of harder to track down and it's got some security vulnerabilities. I don't necessarily have a Windows ninety eight machine sitting around. <laughs> right. No, I think it still runs on a modern Windows ten machine thanks okay. to amazing backwards compatibility that Windows does. But it's an overhead to get someone to try something out and to to do that. And so having it as a platform for you know keeping these all these amazing Winamp skins that people did back in the day accessible, I think is one thing that it has been able to do. And as part of that, I created a Twitter bot called at Winamp skins. Uh, if you follow it, it will tweet out a screenshot of a Winamp skin, I think maybe twice a day, as well as a link to go try it in your browser. And so it's been really cool to be able to create sort of a little mini museum for all of these just amazing works of passion art that people did. Some of them are right. hilarious. Some of them are, you know, shockingly inventive, and some of them are atrocious in ways that are just really amusing. Atrocious in that nostalgic feel. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh God, what were what were people thinking? You can't listen to, uh, you know, death metal without some skulls in your in yeah. your Winamp player or something like exactly. that. Exactly. But so that's I think been really cool. So I would encourage anyone who's you know, interested for a sort of steady stream of nostalgia in their Twitter feed to check out uh, at Winamp Skins. Nice, nice. I was looking at that earlier, and it is super cool. So, thank you for that. Awesome. Well, uh, let's let's wrap up. Thank you everyone everyone for listening. Thank you, Jordan, for joining me today. And uh, if you'd like even more interestings, you can subscribe to our newsletter at codingzeal.com/interestings. We collect interesting articles or links like Winamp JS uh, throughout the week and kind of write them up and get, make them easy to consume for you. Uh, also, please uh, follow us on Twitter at CodingZeal. And uh, if you have a chance, leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. That really helps us uh, reach a bigger audience. So thank you. Thanks, Jordan. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Chris.